you have your Bibles, if y'all would go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 21 this morning. I don't want to leave some of y'all in the middle there in the dark. Y'all try and pull out your copies of God's Word. Matthew chapter 21, as Brother Dusty said earlier, we are looking at our final parable uh, in this series that we've been looking at the parables of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Next week, we're going to take some time. Uh, we're going to, I know most churches celebrate uh, the Sanctity of Life Sunday during January, but we're not most churches, we're just Mount Zion, and so we're going to do that next week. Uh, we'll celebrate Sanctity of Life together at something that's very important, especially in our day and time, for us to commemorate, celebrate, to remember, to look at in God's Word. We'll do that next week before we begin an Easter series in the month of April. Matthew chapter 21, let me go ahead and read our text for us this morning, beginning in verse 28. Jesus speaking says, What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Here we see the parable that we have for today. It's a short parable. I think for all intents and purposes, I think it's a fairly understandable understandable one as well. I think we can see a lot of what Jesus is going to get into teaching here with these two uh, young men that were spoken to by their father. But today, this is the question that I really think that we can answer from this text. Do actions actually speak louder than words? Uh, if I were going to give this, this a title, I would have done that, Miss Jan. I didn't think of it the other day to put in the bulletin. I thought of it this morning. I thought that was good. Do actions speak louder than words. So a little bit of context, as, as usual, we need a little bit of context to see exactly what's taking place. Why is Jesus giving this teaching? Well, he's giving this teaching because once again, there have been some men, some religious leaders that have challenged his authority, that have challenged his teaching, that have come to him and, and basically tried to say, who is it that, that you think that you are? And in response to that, Jesus gives this teaching. If you look just a little bit before this in chapter 21 in verse 23 it says, and when he entered the temple the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. As he was teaching they came to him and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? So here we have Jesus uh, many of you recognize the area that we are here. Jesus has just recently had the triumphant entry into Jerusalem as we call it, uh, Palm Sunday and he's gone into the temple and there were the money changers and people doing things there that they shouldn't have been doing and so he, he makes the whip and he drives those people out of there. So these guys are pretty upset with Jesus, right? The, these religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they're the keepers of the temple. In their mind, they're the ones that are in control that have authority here. And so this man comes in, and he's doing what he wants, and he's teaching his way, and they get pretty upset about that. So they just go directly to him as he's teaching. By what authority are you doing these things? And so Jesus, in the brilliant way that he often does, gives them an opportunity to answer their own question. Look with me in verse 24 of chapter 21. Jesus answering them, it says, Jesus answered them, said, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven 
or from man. So Jesus here, just quickly, in the reference here when he, he mentions John's baptism, he's not talking about one baptism or one John was baptized. He's saying the baptizing that John does, that was a lot of John's ministry, is that he baptized people when they came out to him. And so he's here and asking about John's baptism. He's not asking about one singular event. He's asking about John's ministry. He's saying John's ministry, John the Baptist, as he's talking about here, John the Baptist, his ministry here on earth, from where did it come? By what authority was he doing these things? In essence, is what Jesus asked here. Well, now, John was widely accepted by the Jewish people in this day and time as a true prophet in the lineage of prophets. We know about many of the prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Elijah and those guys. They accepted John in the exact same way. They saw him as a prophet that had been ordained by God, that spoke with the authority of God. So when Jesus asked these religious leaders in front of the crowd about John's ministry, about John's authority, he knew that these men were going to be scared. Now, these men didn't trust John. They didn't think that John was a true prophet. We'll see that in this text in just a little bit. But when Jesus asked them this question publicly, they basically have three choices. They can either say, we don't think that John was doing this by heaven's authority. We think he was doing it on his own. And they're not going to do that because to do that would be in the face of public persecution. If they say that in the temple, there's going to be an uprising. So they, they're not going to say that. Their other choice would be to say, well, John does his ministry by the authority of heaven. He is a true prophet. He's speaking the word of God. But Jesus knew they weren't going to say that because John had already identified Jesus a couple of different times. One time he calls Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At another point, John refers to Jesus as the one who comes after me that is greater than me. He refers to Jesus as the one whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. So John has already recognized that Jesus is the Messiah. So these men are really in a bad position here. If they say, John made up all of that on his own, everybody was going to throw a fit. If they said that John got his authority from heaven, then what they're doing is that they are acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah and that he has all the authority that he needs to do these things. And of course, there's one other choice that many of us often are not willing to employ but these men decide to employ here, and it's to give no answer. They remain silent, and that's hard for some of us to do, but that's what the, these religious leaders decide to do. They give no answer. And Jesus says to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Point one this morning is this. Jesus is the Messiah, the great and mighty King. Jesus is the Messiah, the great and mighty king. Now, I'll go ahead and give you, if you have my notes this morning, you could see this. This isn't really part of this parable, right? This is the context leading up to the parable. I wouldn't usually give you a point from the text that doesn't come from the actual parable, but I can't, give a, I can't pass up the opportunity to remind you of this truth. Jesus is the Messiah the anointed one. Sometimes we can get so caught up, Brother Zach, tell me about the two sons. Brother Zach, tell me about this parable. Before we get to the parable, I just want you to remember why we're here this morning. We're here because Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus that came here and that lived the perfect life and died on the cross, that was God in human flesh. That's why we're here today. If it's not for him, if it's not for what he's done, then we don't care about these two sons, right? 
Jesus is the Almighty King. Jesus is God. And we celebrate that every time we have a chance to celebrate that. So there's our context. Jesus is speaking to these men. In this parable, when he gives this parable, he's still speaking to them. There's a heading break in most of our Bibles, but that's just for our purposes. Jesus answers it this way. Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? He goes directly into teaching today's parable. And let's look at it again. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. He went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. And then Jesus asked the question, which of the two did the will of his father? Which of the two did the will of his father? We'll look at the rest of this text in just a minute. But this is such an important question. Because what the, the answer to this question is going to inform what my life should look like and what your life should look like. It's not a teaching just for the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is a teaching for you and this is a teaching for me and this is a teaching for everyone that will hear the sermon, for everyone that reads this text. Which one of these brothers did the will of his father? Now we're going to look at this then as Jesus was speaking. He's going to give us two groups of people but we're also going to apply it today as well. So we have a good bit to cover here. Let's go ahead and look at it. Verse 31, the rest of it. Which of these two, which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. So here Jesus gives us two groups of people. In the parable there are two brothers, and it's teaching there are two groups of people. There's the first group of people. It's the people he's addressing here. It's the scribes, it's the Pharisees, it's the Sadducees, it's the religious leaders, it's the keepers of the temple. It's the men that, that we see throughout Scripture who are known for their big and impressive prayers. It's the men that are known for how much money they give. It's the men that are known for outwardly showing the signs of how often they fast. It's the men that teach in the temple. It's the, relig it's the men that you would think of if you were a Jew in this day and time as the best of the best. That's group one. We have group one, the religious leaders that all of the Jews, almost all of the Jews looked up to. And then we have group two, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. So Jesus is comparing these men, not even with just what we would refer to as normal people, but he's, refer he, he's, he's really pitting these men against what in this society we're seen as the lowest of the low, right? You know about tax collectors. So these are Jewish people who were hired by Rome to take up taxes from other Jews, right? So, so I know a lot of us, it's that time of year, a lot of y'all aren't happy with the IRS right now, right? The tax collecting guys. Just imagine if, if the tax collectors weren't just part of the government, they were part of us that the government hired your neighbor to come and get your taxes from you. You probably wouldn't be real happy with that neighbor. On top of that, these tax collectors took even more money than they were supposed to and pocketed some of it. So your neighbor comes to get your taxes, charges you more than he's supposed to, and puts someone in his pocket. Jesus said, who do you think's better? These men are the religious leaders. He also gives us the prostitutes. We don't have to go into a lot of detail what we see here. Many of you know the lives and the stories of, of people that have been in prostitution. So we have tax collectors and prostitutes, and we have the religious leaders that everybody knows, that everybody looks up to, that everybody listens to the teaching of. And Jesus says, which one of these 
basically, in essence, which one of these do you think is doing the will of his father? And I think in that day and time, most everyone would have said, it's obviously the religious leaders. In our day and time, if we look, if I just give you those two groups, most of us are saying it's the religious leaders. And as these men hear this, they say, as they hear the parable, they think it's clear which one of these sons did the will of his father. The one that said, I will not, but afterwards changed his mind and went. And in that text, we see a huge key for today's teaching. Even though it it appears so obvious what the choice is here. Who's doing the right thing? If I ask you this morning, who's doing the right thing? People that aren't here at the church this morning or people that are here in the church this morning? I give you a group of people, and some of them are Sunday school teachers, and some of them are deacons, and some of them are pastors, and then there I give you another group of people that don't serve on committees at a church that, that don't have titles like that. And I ask you, which one of these is doing the will of God? I think most of us immediately think, I know the answer. It's the ones with the titles. It's the ones that that we see doing the work. It's the ones that are referred to as church people. But in this text, Jesus draws a much different picture because he said the son that is doing the will of his father is the one who said, I will not, but afterwards changed his mind and went. And in that phrase, changed his mind, we see a picture. It's it's a word that's very closely related to the word that we often use in the church of repent. It's it's the idea of feeling remorse or regret and so deciding to change one's actions and do something different. This first son wasn't tricking the father. He wasn't just playing when he said, oh, no, I'm not going to do that and went and did it anyways. No, this young man said, I'm not going to, and he meant, I'm not going to. But when he realized that he had made the wrong decision, He felt terrible. He felt remorse. He felt regret for having told his dad no. And so he changed his actions and turned his life into a yes. He went and did the thing that he had said that he wasn't going to do. So when we look in this time, we have to ask, which one of these groups is Jesus talking about? Who is it that was doing one thing and realized that it wasn't right and so decided to do something else? Well, have any of y'all heard of Matthew in the Bible? The man that wrote the book that we're reading out of right now, Matthew. You know, he was a tax collector before he met Jesus. How many of y'all have heard about uh, the the little man who climbed a sycamore tree? Do any of y'all know that? Yes, many of y'all know that. I want to give to you the end of his story, just in case you've forgotten it, since it's been a few years uh, since you were in in Bible school and haven't heard that story, let me give you the end of the story of Zacchaeus. And and the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19, beginning in verse 5, says, And when Jesus came to the place, talking about where Zacchaeus was, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully, received Christ joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Here was a man that was a tax collector who was hated. He was the worst of the worst in society. He had stolen from his neighbors and his brothers and his family and his friends. But when this man met Jesus, Zacchaeus said, 
everything that I've done before that was wrong, I'm going to make right fourfold. Jesus, everything I'm taking, I've taken, I'm going to fix. When he met Jesus, he said, I'm not hiding it. I'm not lying. I have done wrong, and now I feel regret, and I feel remorse, and I'm going to change my actions because of it. And he did. And Matthew did. And there were prostitutes in this teaching in this day and time that found Jesus, that met Jesus, and changed their life and changed who they were. And what Jesus is telling us here is that if you have some religious leaders with big titles who everybody sees and everybody knows, who on the outside are the best of the best, but on the inside are rejecting the teaching of Jesus, who are rejecting the authority of God through his prophet John, then the ones that are truly doing the will of the Father aren't the ones with the titles, but they're the ones that are doing the actions that God has called them to do. Point two this morning, God is not served by titles and talk, but by devotion and dedication. Are y'all proud of that one? I'm proud of that. I don't usually put those alliteration things, but I'm proud of that one. God's not served by titles and talk, but by devotion and dedication. And brothers and sisters, that doesn't just sound good, even though I do think that sounds good. That's the truth. It's not about what title you have. It's not what about position you have. It's not how long you've been in the church. It's not about being called a Pharisee. It's not about, are you a Pharisee or are you a prostitute? It's not about, these. it's about, have you realized at some point in your life that you were on the wrong path and that you were doing the wrong thing and have felt regret and remorse, conviction from the Holy Spirit, given your life to Christ and turned things around? Have you done that? And Jesus is showing us here a picture that that's what matters. These religious leaders, everybody thought they were the best of the best. Because on the outside, they looked like the best of the best. But Jesus calls them hypocrites through their face. Over and over again, Jesus exposes that these men, who we thought were doing the right things, were doing it for selfish gain. That they weren't serving God, they weren't working for God's glory, but they were serving themselves and they were working for their own glory and they were bending God's laws and rules in order to work the best for them. So even though they appeared to be doing the right thing, what they were really a picture of was the second son who said I go sir and did not go who said yes I love God yes I'm going to do whatever God calls me to but then in reality they didn't do anything that God had called them to and this is here's where we have to see this right parables aren't just for the Pharisees this was a strong teaching against these brothers right this had to have hurt to hear this for these brothers but what I want you to see this morning is that this applies today too because there are people, possibly here in Mount Zion, across Lincoln County, throughout all the world, that are sitting in churches here on Sunday morning, the Lord's Day as we gather, that are sitting in churches. And some of them are Sunday school teachers. And some of them are committee members. And some of them are deacons. And some of them sing in the choir. And some of them are charter members of churches. And some of them are pastors who have outwardly said, I am good and I love God, but inside they are as sinful as they have ever been. And Jesus says here this morning, that does not serve God. That is not someone that is doing the will of the Father. Brothers and sisters, we cannot today depend on our titles 
and what everybody else thinks of us. What we need to be is people that have realized that we are sinful and that we were going down the wrong path and that we were doing the wrong thing and that we have felt conviction from God because of our sin. And we have come to him broken and said, Father, I know that I made the wrong decision. I know that I've made many wrong decisions and I need your forgiveness. And that we have repented and that we have turned from those actions. That's the person that we want to be in this story. He told these Pharisees, he told these religious leaders, you haven't done that. The prostitutes have done that. The tax collectors have done that. The worst of the worst have done that, but you've never done that. And I ask you this morning, because some of you have, some of us have great titles. But I ask you this morning, no matter what your title is, no matter how long your name has been on the membership roll of this church, I'll ask you this morning, do you find yourself in the same boat as the Pharisees? Everybody thinking you're good, everybody thinking that you were great and doing the right thing, but on the inside you have sins and you have things that you love more than you love God. I don't know, There, it appears to me that the Pharisees' sin of choice was pride. I don't know what yours may be. Maybe yours is uh, some sort of chemical you're addicted to. Maybe it's alcohol or maybe it's some other sort of drug. Maybe your sin that, that you love so much is pornography or some extramarital affair or maybe some some maybe you're not married this morning. You're in a, a physical, premarital relationship that you know that you shouldn't be in. Maybe you're here this morning and you are, as we saw last week, unwilling to forgive other people even though you know that you should forgive them. Maybe some of you are people that deal with hate and hating other people. Maybe some of you are liars. I don't know what your sin is, but at this morning, if you have a sin that you love more than you love God, that when push comes to shove, that you've said outwardly, yes, Father, I will serve you, but inwardly you are saying, no, I won't. And then this morning, this text tells us that you're in a very dangerous position, that you are in a place that should scare you and that should worry you. If you have a sin that you're not willing to give up. If you would rather give up God than give up your sin, then this morning I want you to listen to the end of verse 31. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of heaven before you. Now, why is that so important? Because what Jesus says there is that those that have repented of their sins, even though they used to be really, really bad, even though we all know what they used to do, those that have repented of their sins, they've already secured a place in heaven. They're going ahead of you. Not that they'll literally be ahead of you, but in the fact that they have already secured a place in heaven. And you too could secure a place if you follow that same path. But if you do not, the way that this can also be read is that they are going and that they have taken your place. Where you thought that you were going to heaven because of whatever reason, your family affiliation, your church affiliation, your title, where you thought you were going to heaven because of that, the truth is those that have actually repented of their sins <coughs> have taken your place. They're going to heaven and you're not is the teaching that we see there. In 1 John chapter 3, we read a text that I've read to you before. 
that is hard to swallow for many people. But in 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, make it as clear as day. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him, that's talking about Christ. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Point three, the last point today. We are not saved by our actions, but our actions can show if we are saved. We are not saved by our actions. You will never do enough good things in order to be saved. But the actions that you do can show you if you are saved or not because this text says that if you love sin more than you love God, any sin, if there's any sin that when God pushes you, you said, I love this more than I love you, God, I will continue doing this before I follow you, then what he says is that you have not seen him and you have not known him. And in more clear and plain language, he says, you are not a Christian. You are not saved. You are not my child. Brothers and sisters, this morning, this text gets really real. This text says that in a spiritual sense, when it comes to your salvation, hear that because I don't want you to think, well, Brother Zach said none of these things matter. No. In a spiritual sense, when it comes to your salvation, when you get to heaven, God is not going to ask about, God does not care about who your dad was or who your mom was or who your grandparents were. He is not going to care about how long your name was on the membership role of this church. He is not going to care whether you walk down an aisle one day or not. <clears throat> He's not going to care if you signed up on a card at Vacation Bible School. He's not going to care how many committees you served on. He's not going to care if you were a pastor or not. What he is going to care about is if you realize that you were a sinner in need of salvation and that by grace through faith you came to his son Jesus Christ accepted him as Lord of your life and gave your life over to him. That's what he's going to ask about. That's what he's going to care about because if you think anything else is getting you into heaven, then this text is for you because he says it's not. It's not going to make a difference how long you've been a member. If being a member of this church doesn't mean that you've actually committed your life to Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, those are things that we look at all the time. Pharisees, church members, Sunday school teachers, Sadducees, scribe, pastor. Those are not titles that get you into heaven. Being under the lordship of Jesus Christ, being saved by grace through faith is what gets you into heaven and nothing else will do. So I ask you this morning, what is it that you're leaning on? Are you leaning on dedication to Jesus Christ because you understand what he's done for you? You understand how he's forgiven you? I understand many of you get scared about that text from 1 John because you think, well, Brother Zach, I still sin sometimes. We all still sin sometimes. But when you sin, is it evident that God has given you his Holy Spirit and that God has given you a new heart so that a lot of times when you're tempted to sin, you do refrain but sometimes when you do slip up in sin, you feel regret and remorse and conviction about it so that you don't want to do it again, or do you just continue on enjoying your sin? That's what the text is talking about. If you're the second category where you sin and there's no conviction, it's probably because there's no Holy Spirit. 
you, you sin and you don't feel bad, it's probably because you don't have a new heart that's bent toward God's word. You still have your old heart that's bent toward sin, and that's why sin's so enjoyable. And if you're there this morning, and you've been a church member for all of your life, but you're still in that place. I want to give you one last text today from Matthew chapter 7. I want to read to you just a few more verses that I pray that none of you ever hear, but that I'm afraid because of Jesus' teaching this morning that many people gathered in many churches across the world will hear. Jesus said, Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, talking about the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This text is important to me. Why did I choose this? There were at least six other parables that I still wanted to preach, and I knew that this was the last week that I had to teach a parable to you on Sunday morning. Why is this the one that I chose? I'll tell you, the one, as I prayed about it, this morning I wanted you to understand, brothers and sisters, that this text gets really real. It gets down to the core of what makes you saved or lost. And this morning, I hope that you don't care more about what we think about you because some of you may be here and you're hearing this this morning and you feel right now in your heart that you are like these religious leaders. You know deep down inside that you're not a Christian. But you're afraid to make that public. You're afraid to come and say it because of the title that you have. Brothers and sisters, don't let the judgment of somebody in this room make you fall under the judgment of God another day. Brothers and sisters, if Christ has made it clear to you today, I don't care if you've been a member for a hundred years, I don't care if you're a deacon and have been, I don't care if you've taught Sunday school for the past 50 years, if you're here today and the Lord has told you that you are not His, then in just a moment, whenever we have a time of public profession, you come and say clearly, I have not been a child of God, but today I have changed my mind. The Lord has changed mine. He has shown me my ways. He has shown me my sin. And he has shown me how wicked it is. And I have decided to give my life to him. Brothers and sisters, if he's calling you to do that, you come do that. I will not say, I cannot believe you. I will say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Look at what God can do. If that's you, I pray that you would come. Because it's not about what we think about you. It's about what God thinks about you. And brothers and sisters, this is important that we get this right before we go any further. But also, I would say that if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, and not with all of your life, but in some ways you've been a little bit like that second son, you've said, yes, Jesus, I will follow you, but you know that there are some ways that your life is saying, no, I'm not really following you. I pray today that you would repent of those things, that you would turn over your entire life to God, that you would serve him with your whole heart. It's what he deserves. I want to invite you to stand this morning, and we're going to prepare for a time of invitation, and as always, these altars are open for you to come and pray. We're in no hurry to get out of here. We've got the food today. We've got it for you. You don't even have to go cook. There's no rush. If you need to come and pray at these altars, you come. If you want me to pray with you, I would love the privilege.
you have something that you need to make public, come let us celebrate with you as we celebrated with Gracie last week. But if you have something that the Lord's calling you to deal with, I pray that you would take care of that this morning as Brother Shane leads us in the hymn of invitation. <laughs>